dead human beings. Maybe she joined Greenpeace, drew blood on old women's furs. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we are... The Film Flamers. That is absolutely correct. <gasps> you got it. We did it. <laughs> Finally, we know whom we are. Love these many years. <laughs> Love. <laughs> and we are kicking off our theme for October, which is very, very numerical. Yes. So, <laughs> you guessed it. It's 13. <laughs> And why? I don't know. 13 is uh, the unluckiest number, right? And there's a Friday the 13th in this month. There's a, Yes, that's right. There's a Friday the 13th, which is why we did it, right? And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, but there's, I don't know what it is about 13. Yeah. You know, uh, no no modern building has 13th floor, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, there's a movie called 13th Floor. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of horror stories with those in it. Um, you know, so we have a Friday the 13th. So we thought, hey, what are all the movies with 13th that aren't Friday the 13th? That's right. We don't want any basic bitches. Because we're going to do that eventually for like block summer blockbuster type of thing. Sure. You know? yeah. Maybe as early as next year or the year after. I don't know. Sometime it's in the next 40 years. And uh, this year, we decided to do 13 Ghosts. Uh, and this is the one from 2001. And then uh, over on Patreon, I think we're going to follow up with the original. That's right. That's right? the current plan. Yeah. And then uh, next week, we're going to be covering The 13th Warrior, which is kind of a guilty pleasure on my part. And I've never seen it. Kind of a based on a Beowulf story. Oh. Yeah, it seems like a Beowulf kind of movie. Yeah. Okay. So. But for this episode. For this episode, 13 Ghosts, also known as Thir 13 n Ghosts. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it's a 2001 uh, supernatural horror film directed by Steve Beck in his directorial debut and written by Neil Marshall Stevens and Richard DeVito. DeVito? DeVito. 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 Robert Zemeckis, uh, that sounds familiar, and Joel Silver served as producers. The film stars Tony Shalhoub, randomly, and Beth Davids, randomly, Matthew Littard, (laughs) randomly, Shannon Elizabeth, very randomly, and Rod Digga, the ultimate randomly, and F. Murray Abraham, randomly. Mm, No, I think he fits here. (laughs) (laughs) He's the one. (laughs) The music for the movie was composed by John Frizzell. The film focuses on a husband grieving the loss of his wife who receives a mysterious house from his recently deceased uncle, who is a collector of violent, evil spirits who are up to no good in the neighborhood. It was based on the 1960 movie of the same name, which was produced and directed by William Castle. King O the movie gimmick. Yeah, we'll have to cover some of those eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like William Castle movies. I just wish that I could see them with the gimmick in place. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like, this one was all about the glasses. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, listeners. We have ten minutes until the ectoplasmic shit hits the fan. <laughs> this is 13 Ghosts. Don't you mean Thur-13 and Ghosts? Thur-13 and Ghosts. <laughs> there are ghosts around us all the time. Most of them, they can't hurt us. Most of them don't even want to hurt us. But there are exceptions. Is it bad tonight? Oh, bad is my professional opinion. We should get the hell out of here. Now. Hi, 
I represent the estate of your Uncle Cyrus. We have an Uncle Cyrus? Cyrus recorded this message six weeks ago. He asked it to be played for you in the event of his death. Arthur, I've instructed my lawyer to deliver my last will and testament. A key? A key to what? A key to your new house. This house is the fruit of my life's work. Oh my God. It is a one-of-a-kind home. It's marvelous, isn't it? Wow. Arthur, we've got some papers to sign in the library. After that, I would love to take you and the family around the tour of the house. This place is awesome! All right, now I know I'm dreaming. Well, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. What the hell was that? This Halloween. You're wasting your time. It's all sealed up. The only thing worse than being trapped in a house with a ghost. This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine. Powered by the dead. Is being trapped in a house with 13 ghosts. Maggie! What? We got company. Where? I can't see. How close is it? Close enough to hurt you. Go, go, go! I guarantee nothing. Eccentric rich guy, ghost hunter, and all-around asshole, Cyrus Kritikos, played by F. Murray Abraham, and his psychic assistant Dennis Rafkin, played by Matthew Lillard, lead a team on a mission in Freddy's junkyard to capture a spirit called the Juggernaut, bitch. This will be the 12th and final ghost they have captured for some unknown, mysterious project. Several men, including Cyrus himself, are violently killed in the process of imprisoning the powerful Poltergeist. Soon after, Cyrus's nephew Arthur Criticos, played by Tony Shalhoub for some reason, a widower is informed by Cyrus's estate lawyer that he has inherited Cyrus's mansion. As the Criticos... <laughs> mansion? <laughs> <laughs> As the Criticos family was financially devastated after a fire burned away all their belongings and wealth and oh yeah, their mother, Arthur decides to move to the gigantic house with his two children, mostly grown daughter Kathy, played by Shannon Elizabeth, little Bobby, played by Alec Roberts, and their wisecracking nanny that they could totally still afford, Maggie Token. God. <laughs> played by Rod Digga. At the house, Dennis, the wacky ghost whisperer, poses as a utility worker and meets the family as they tour the mansion. The residence is made entirely of glass sheets inscribed with Latin phrases, which Dennis recognizes as barrier spells. He discovers that the twelve angry ghosts he and Cyrus captured are imprisoned in the house, held captive by the spells. As he exposes himself, um, reveals himself, and warns Arthur, the lawyer guy unwittingly triggers a mechanism that seals the house and releases the ghosts. Lawyer guy dies when a set of sliding doors cuts him in half, kind of like those other movies around this time. <laughs> Some would say he's the resident evil. Bobby, wearing spectral glasses he picked up in the kids' room, sees several of the ghosts, including Gasp, his mother who had burned to death in that fire that time. Her ghostly visage tells him to skedaddle. 
but as he turns around, he sees the supposed-to-be-dead Uncle Cyrus and is knocked unconscious and dragged away. Meanwhile, the Jackal, also known as Jackal in the Box, one of the most dangerous and spoopy of the ghosts, attacks Kathy and Arthur, but they are saved by Kalina Ortizia, played by Embeth Davids, a spiritual social justice warrior who is attempting to free the ghosts. As Kalina explains what's going on in a furious bit of exposition that doesn't actually explain much, it's true. Kathy somehow disappears, even though they were all crouching in a hallway with glass walls. <laughs> the four adults gather in the library, where Arthur is finally told that his dead wife's ghost is also in the house as one of the captured ghosts. Kalina explains that the house is a machine powered by the captive ghosts that allows its user to see the past, present, and future. The only way to shut it down is through the power of love. Or Sans Marketing, the creation of a 13th ghost from a willing human sacrifice. Arthur realizes that he must become that ghost to save his children. Armed with the spectral glasses, Arthur and Dennis enter the basement to look for the missing children. Suddenly finding themselves under attack, Dennis barricades Arthur behind a glass sheet for his protection, willingly throwing away his own life due to reasons. <laughs> Dennis is then beaten to death by the hammer and the juggernaut bitch. <laughs> Arthur somehow finds it within himself to continue on without Dennis. <laughs> Elsewhere, Kalina knocks Maggie unconscious with a large book and promptly kisses Cyrus upon his arrival, revealing a string of shocking revelations. Cyrus has faked his death to lure Arthur and his family to the house. Kalina is actually his partner and lover. Cyrus has orchestrated the abduction of Kathy and Bobby so that Arthur will become the 13th ghost, which will not stop the machine, as Kalina had it claimed, but trigger its activation. Cyrus kills Kalina, who objected to Cyrus putting the children in danger, even though they were already tied up and in danger, and summons the ghost to activate the machine. In the main hall, Arthur emerges and witnesses all 12 ghosts orbiting a clockwork device of rotating metal rings with his children at the center. He fights Cyrus, while Maggie disrupts the machine's controls, releasing the ghost from its power and causing the machine to go haywire. Freed, the ghost immediately hurls Cyrus into the moving metal ring, slicing him into chunky salsa. With the encouragement of Dennis's ghost, Arthur safely jumps through the whirling metal machine to protect his children, even though doing so did nothing to actually protect them. <laughs> the walls of the house shatter as the malfunctioning machine rips itself apart, freeing the ghosts. The ghost of burnt mama Criticos tells them that she loves them before she too disappears. The whirligig metal rings eventually slow to a stop, freeing the Criticos family. As the family steps through the chunky salsa of their dearly departed uncle, they finally escape from the house, as Maggie angrily declares that she is quitting as their nanny. The end. <laughs> Jesus it's a tough one I mean that really just fucking sums it up <laughs> it's fun how we're just writing a synopsis can just like really pop in the glaring problems with <laughs> she disappeared somehow let's go <laughs> we are now using synopses as a critical device <laughs> As a hammer. As God intended. <laughs> As a juggernaut, bitch.
13 Ghosts was released on October 26, 2001 on more than 2,700 screens. It grossed 15 million opening weekend behind K-Pax, <laughs> securing the number two spot at the box office. Other films in the top 10 that weekend other than itself and K-Pax were From Hell, Riding in Cars with Boys, and Corky Romano. Fun fact. I went to a pre-screening in Tucson of From Hell and got like a free poster and everything. I love From Hell. It was a good movie. I was like, hmm, that's all right. I mean, I've only seen it the one time. I, don't know, I got in a 2001. Heather, Heather Grammed in that movie. <laughs> I was Heather Grammed with the ear nose and throat. <laughs> I don't know what Corky Romano is. Corky Romano. It's that little small dude from uh, SNL. Who? He like had to dress up like a Girl Scout and go, would you like to buy some cookies? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that from the trailer. Yes, I remember Corky Romano now. <laughs> Never right. saw it, but I remember the trailer. <laughs> Would you like to buy some cookies? <laughs> Never seen the movie. <laughs> Funny yes. how things just stick in your head. This is a long time <laughs> ago. Like, I, I usually think of these things as, like, a little bit more modern. 2001 is a long time ago. It just doesn't feel like that to me. To us, right? Yeah. And so that's one of my random thoughts, right? Like, I, I feel like I keep thinking of these 2000s movies as more modern or newer, when in fact it would be the equivalent of us talking about 1978 movies back in, back in 2001. My good Lord. That's how fucking old we are and how much, like, time has flown since then. Yeah. Time flies when you're fucking... Yeah. Decrepit. So all, like, the 20-somethings that are listening to us are like, oh my god, these guys are fucking old. We really are. <laughs> it would remain in the top 10 for four weeks and ultimately grow $68.4 million worldwide against a reported budget of $42 million. 13 Ghosts holds an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score at 49%. The site's consensus reads, quote, The production design is first rate, but 13 Ghosts is distinctly lacking in scares. Here, here. On Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 30 out of 100, indicating generally unfavorable reviews. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of C+. Quite a reception. Reviews for the film were mostly negative. Praise was directed toward the production design, but the film was criticized for its lack of scares and a number of strobe effects throughout that could cause seizures. Jesus, yeah. Roger Ebert praised the production value, saying the production is first rate. The physical look of the picture is splendid. However, he criticized the story, lack of interesting characters, loud soundtrack, and poor editing. In 2005, Ebert included it on his list of most hated films. Ed Gonzalez of Slant Magazine rated the film two out of four stars, painting the film's lack of scares and predictable plot twists. However, Gonzalez commended the art direction while also stating it was underutilized. Elvis Mitchell of the New York Times said of the film... What we're left with after the scares is just plain dumb. <laughs> what scares, though? <laughs> it does have some accolades and some recently announced legacy. At the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Horror Movie, but it lost to the others. At the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it was nominated for Worst Movie, but lost to Valentine. Oh my god, I forgot about that. And it won Best Makeup and Creature Effects. I love Valentine. I thought it was a good movie. At the Stinker Awards, it was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress, Shannon Elizabeth. Okay, what are you thinking of when it's Valentine? With David Boreanaz. I don't remember that, maybe. Maybe I was thinking of My Bloody Valentine in 3D, but that didn't come out until like 2008. That was... A bad movie, but... Uh, but it was fun in 3D. Valentine has David Boreanaz and what's that bitch from Wild Things? Denise Richards oh, and wow. it's Catherine Heigl. Like all those like early 2000s It Girls. On Denise, yeah. And, oh, although Denise Richards was more like 99. Yeah. 90s. So she was the older one of the bunch. But David Boreanaz is in it. 
Wow. We need to do Valentine for February one year. Like, okay. it's a slasher movie. It's one yeah. of those fun, like, in the vein of urban legends, kind of. I and think Boreana Rebecca Gayhart's in it, too, maybe. I can't remember. Wow. but Yeah. Oh, we need to do that. What about Marsha Gay Harden? Marsha Gay Harden? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> She's only Misty. <laughs> in the years since its release and disappointing box office performance, the film has gathered a prominent cult following. Like most bad movies, finding further success and more positive reception, leading Castle Entertainment to announce plans to create a TV series in August of 23. So getting a little ahead of ourselves, mayhaps, I will say that when I read this piece of information and I saw this headline last month, whenever they announced it, right, I almost included it in um, Shooting the Flames, but I was like, we're just about to talk about this movie, so I'm going to leave that alone. I feel like a TV series of this movie would be good only, only if they focus on the ghosts. I could imagine if uh, like it was a Mike Flanagan series Mm. where it was, there was still, you know, like a follow through of people experiencing this house or whatever 13 ghosts are, but have an opener or like subplot in each episode of each ghost. Right. So it would be a 13 episode series. Yep. Or a 12 or even a 12. Yeah. Or with the 13th being the wrap up or whatnot. But I feel yeah. like you're right. Every single episode needs to focus on one ghost and give us backstory and like flashbacks and things like that upon like that ghost's life and what made them a ghost. I feel like that would be cool. It writes itself as an yeah. apology. You I know? mean, and I hope that's what it is, you know, because that's the only reason to even revisit this movie or talk about it for me is the ghosts. And I'm sure that we'll get into them. At some Did you ever point. see the 1960 original? Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Okay. Like, the ghosts are very different. I mean, obviously, it's from the 60s, so it's way more tame. You know, I think one of the ghosts is, like, a fucking lion or something. Oh, and they, like, wear white sheets and stuff? <laughs> I don't know. No. Oh. Like, <laughs> what did my brain go you straight of- to the clan? No. <laughs> I was just like, no, it's not that racist. No, you racist? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I automatically go to, like, terrible racism. No, shitty ghost Halloween costumes. <laughs> no, they're like, Jeez. like, okay, have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, but I know about it, right? I know about the glasses. At first, I thought it was 3D, but no, it's not that Mm -hmm. simple, right? The original is with those glasses where they had the red blue lenses, but it was from the effect of, okay, like the red will intensify them and blue will quote unquote make them disappear. The the secret is, of course, they're you can see them regardless. Regardless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God bless William Castle. (laughs) Right. But yeah, we'll talk about all of that over on Patreon. I'm actually looking forward to talking about it because it's it's kind of a goofy movie. Yeah. Where do you want to start with this? I want to start with Dark Castle, right? Okay, yeah. Because uh, like you don't see that logo much anymore. Oh, certainly not. But you did back in the day. It's still around. I mean, it's still part of like owned by like Silver Pictures, which owns a bunch of other things. But it was formed back in 1998 by uh, Joel Silver, Robert Zemeckis, and uh, Gilbert Adler. And Susan Downey, who is, of course, Robert Downey Jr.'s um, wife, was the vice president of development until February 2009. So wow. Dark Castle Entertainment's name, of course, pays homage to William Castle, who we were just talking about, a horror filmmaker from the 50s to 60s. And when it was first formed, the goal was to actually remake Castle's horror films. So after two remakes, which, of course, House on Haunted Hill and uh, this one, or sorry, Ghost Ship, I guess. Ghost Ship is a remake too, right? I don't think so. I think so. I don't know. I think it's based on a book that they couldn't get the rights to or something. Possibly. I do know House on Haunted Hill is a remake. Of course, that's a remake, yeah. After two remakes, they were moved on to producing original material along with remakes of non-Castle films, right? So they did House on Haunted Hill. I don't know if it was the original Willem Castle for that, too. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so 13 Ghosts, Ghost Ship, Gothica, 
House of Wax from 2005, which I actually thought was okay. All right. Uh, the Reaping, Orphan, Splice, and then most recently, um, they've had a lot of like under the radar horror films that just aren't reviewed well, except for more recently, Orphan First Kill, which was reviewed very well. It was reviewed very well, and it was actually good. I liked it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's good. I mean, because I mean, <clears throat> William Castle is a name to. It's a recognizable name in the horror genre. Like clearly for those like fans of horror films, whether you've seen his movies or not, everyone knows who William Castle is and like what he did for like making a cinema event with his movies, like the tingler and things like that. Like he would do like the best things to get, he, he could fill a seat with, with all these like gimmicks and stuff. So, I mean, like that's a name. And I feel like we talked about William Castle a little bit when we did Rosemary's baby, because he was kind of a producer on that movie. Right. So we had a brief conversation about William Castle then, but like this movie is a direct remake from that in a sense that like, you know, on Patreon, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but like the bones of this movie is pretty much that one. Like a family inherits a house. There's ghosts already live there, blah, blah, blah. So, but we've also already talked about uh, Robert Zemeckis a little bit, right? Because that's who principally had the passion behind it to start mm-hmm. this this production company. Of course, he directed things like Romance in the Stone, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, let's see. He ended up doing Death Becomes Her. So we talked about him a little bit then. Um, ended up doing like Forrest Gump and Contact, What Lies Beneath. What Lies Beneath, Which yeah. I'm surprised wasn't a Dark, a dark Castle thing um, because it came out – that came out like maybe – it was in the 2000s. 2000s. It was literally the yeah. year 2000 when What Lies Beneath came out. I really like that movie. So I'm wondering why it wasn't part of that production company. Uh-huh. And maybe it's because at the time they were only thinking of doing, because that would have been in, in probably in production or writing at least in 1998, 99. So at the time, the plan, of course, was that Dark Pictures or Dark Castle Pictures would only be doing remakes of, you know, castle movies william castle movies are at the very least it seems from this like those movies contemporaries yeah right god he directed the new witches really yeah i haven't seen that yet and a new live action pinocchio oh my god does every director just like crash and burn apparently (laughs) anyway all right so so far from this episode we need to do valentine and we need to do (laughs) What lies beneath? <laughs> we're just talking about movies we need to do in the future instead of talking about oh, this one. I don't we're know. only scratching the surface because we're going to have more to talk about in just a second, right? Um, because there's there's just more to compare this movie to. Um, the next thing I think would be like the director they picked, right? Which was Steve Beck. Yeah. They wanted to kind of uh, pick like an up and comer, right? And so this guy had been doing a lot of commercials and now he's still doing commercials as far as I know. So he like went into movies, hated it and got back out. So he directed commercials for like First Union, GMC, Chevrolet, uh, McDonald's, Gatorade. And he spent several years working for Industrial Light and Magic oh. as a visual effects and art director on films like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, The Abyss, and The Hunt for Red October. All of which have great visual effects. So yeah, he he has a great resume. He has a dire- been a director and he's been in effects, right? Mm-hmm. And so if he's a passion for horror movies, then it's a match made in heaven. And you know he might be uh, have a reputation for being great to, to work with, you know. And so Zemeckis probably um, kind of poached him for that sort of work. And so. Um, as a filmmaker, he only made two movies, and that was 13 Ghosts, and then the following year, Ghost Ship. Oh. Right. Both for Dark Castle Entertainment. Oh, I saw uh, I saw 13 Ghosts in the theater when I was living in Tucson, and then I saw Ghost Ship at the drive-in at Tucson. That was fun. So I saw 13 Ghosts in the theater, and I also saw Ghost Ship in the theater. So, But, that, I mean, this was the time, like, 2001, this general area of time, I was, like... 
in college and I literally saw like whatever horror movie came out in yep. the theater. I just went to go see everything. Anything that looked even remotely interesting, I, I would go and see. Even the ones that I wasn't interested in, I just went to go see it. I mean, this is the time where I saw things like like this, Ghost Ship, like Stir of Echoes, which we've covered over on did Patreon. You see, did you go see Queen of the Damned? I did. I mean, I didn't like it, yeah, but, but I saw okay. it. So, I mean, I, I look back on the early 2000s and I think very fondly of those movies that I saw because I just had so many theater experiences, right? Probably because I was a really boring early 20s guy. Yeah. But, oh, well. Ghost Ship, though. My God. <laughs> Only the beginning of that movie is good. <laughs> For real. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit, too, um, because I think that's like part of the of the issue with some of these films. Like, I feel like there's a string of haunted location films that kind of felt the same, like apart from the J horror and the found footage that was kind of going on at the time. Yeah. Starting the late nineties and going into the early thousands, really big transitionary time in horror for me. And I don't, I know that this is not a haunted location, but it kind of is right. If you think about the setup and the plots, deep blue sea from 1999 by Rennie Harlan mm-hmm. virus. We have to cover that, at oh least on God, Patreon. Yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, William Baldwin, Donald Sutherland, sign me fucking up. You know I love some Billy Saw that Baldwin. in the theater. Such like Muppety gross stuff in that movie. I did not see it in the theater. Uh, anyway, The Haunting from 1999, which is the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Really disliked that movie. The Haunting or House on Haunted Hill? <laughs> the Haunting. House on Haunted Hill I like. This one with like Tay Diggs, right? One of them had Liam Neeson. One of them had Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's one the of them haunting. had Famke Jensen. Famke Jansen was in the Haunted Haunted Hill. Haunted Haunted Hill. That has Famke Jansen, Tay Diggs, other people. And other people as well. <laughs> Did it start at the beginning with a roller coaster ride where like you could see the roller coaster, but it was ended up being like I think so. had a really cool opener. I can't yeah. remember. We need to that's what we need to do, really. We need to do a double deep dive month where we do the haunting and house of haunted hill, which came out out within like months of each other. That's right. In the theater. And so we've got to pit those movies against. Obviously, you, it seems like you already know your favorite. I do not remember a favorite between those two. I was incredibly bored watching The Haunting. Oh, really? Just because like... When so, was the last time you saw it? I only saw it the one time in the theater. Oh, wow. So it's been like 24 years. Yeah. Because I really enjoy the movie. Uh, it's been a quarter century since you've seen that movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Stop it with that. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy the movie The Haunting of Hill House, right, from the 60s. I think that's what it's called. But it was yeah. Robert Wise movie. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly effective and very, very scary. And that's sort of what the, that's based on, right? That Shirley Jackson novel and that 1960s movie. Yep. And this one like was nothing like that at all. It was way too like CGI and special effects. And I was just bored with it for the most part, but that is for another conversation. And and also my idea of that might change completely when I see it this time, who knows? And then after that, we got resident evil in 2002 and ghost ship. Of course, it's by the same director, obviously. Um, And then uh, Rose red. Although that wasn't a theater, that was a miniseries, right? Miniseries by Stephen King. But uh, I feel like a lot of these, I don't know if they took the card from Scream earlier in the 90s uh, or what, but like this was about this this, um, straight face as horror got back then. And they all seem to have this weird like tongue firmly placed in cheek kind of tone to them. Yeah. You know, and so they all kind of have that maybe a little bit less with like Resident Evil, which was fairly earnest, but still had those moments. They all feel like, they know what they are and they feel like they know they couldn't be better than they are. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm like articulating the. No, I, it's like they all were taking part in the horror ghetto to some extent. 
I'm, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. So like, I mean, because when I look back on some of these movies from the late 90s to like the early to mid 2000s, that's what I think of. I think they're all very schlocky kind of money grab movies, popcorn. right? Yeah. Popcorn movies. And that people went to go see. They may not have made a lot of money, but they made enough money for, for other film companies to keep making these and like, you know, throwing them out there. And like there was just so many, like the market was completely saturated was with these horror. movies. Well, we had a kind of a horror renaissance. And so all these started coming out, obviously, but it's just like none of them really took themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And that was just what the horror market was back yeah. then. Yeah. And I now mean, it's kind of changed to where the popcorn horror we do get is kind of more of the rare, kind of under the radar stuff, you know, or even like really intentionally done that way, like James Wan's latest with Malignant. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, even the cash grab movies that come out today are either part of some sort of like horror cinematic universe, right? Like the Conjuring films and whatnot, or like, I I still think that they're like a little bit more intelligent than the stuff that we got back then. Yeah. But this is making me realize that the dark horse of modern horror has now become the mainstream. A24 horror is now the mainstream. That's, I mean, look at fucking talk to me and how much money So we're about to like in the next few years, we're going to see another swap. That's right. It's going to be interesting to to, to watch. All of this is cyclical. I mean, because that's what happens. Like horror will hit a renaissance, which I think happened actually several years ago, right around the time that it came out. And we're we're starting to get more of those type of movies, right? Sort of like, I don't want to use the word prestige. I would say it's kind of in between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it still felt like an A24 type movie. It was very long. It was epic y, you know? And, but in a very short amount of time, the movies that we're going to get are going to be schlocky and silly, right? But even this year, we've gotten some schlocky movies like Megan, right? But not a terrible movie. And Meg. <laughs> and, and the Meg, too. The well, trend. Yeah, we've always had those kind of under the radar. We've had like the, the Sharknado and shit like that. Going, yeah. You know? So, I mean, like, they're they're present, but we are due for, like, the Renaissance backlash, which happens every time something like this happens. So, yeah. prepare think, ye selves, listeners. And maybe Talk To Me is kind of the beginning of the end, where A24 kind of sees that happening, and they're starting to go a little more popcorn-y themselves. Well, yeah, because they've already announced the sequel. Oof. <laughs> so, when A24 is like, oh, we got to do a sequel now. Like, when A24 is, like, going for the cash grab, mm-hmm. oh. There are rough times ahead, my friend. <laughs> God, it also, like, just looking at this list, it also makes me, like, we've already done a deep dive of Resident Evil. We have. You know, uh, we've got to do Deep Blue Sea and Virus at some point. Uh, we've got to pit a haunting and haunted, ha- uh, haunted house on Haunted Hill together. And then I also, uh, we need to talk about Ghost Ship, maybe the first five minutes of it, at least on um, Patreon or something. And then maybe we can do Battle of the Miniseries or something. We can watch The Terror and Rose Red, you know? Well, the terror is like a multi-episode format, well, whereas so Rose, Rose Red. Red was like two episodes. Yeah, but two like hour and a half long episodes, That's two or true. three of them. Actually, I think it was like four part. I don't know if we're gonna do if we're gonna do miniseries, we need to do like Stephen King miniseries that battle. They're probably comparable in total length, honestly. Okay, we can talk about I that. I mean, we got plenty of episodes to go in our podcasting career. It's not going to take us as long to do those as it would like the X-Files top 13. I mean, <laughs> we're going to end up watching about 16 to 17 hours of TV for that. So far, which has been very interesting. Which we've already done like 12 of. So actually, we've already watched like 13. Oh, my God. That's the number. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> so I guess maybe we should start talking about this movie itself. Starting about the actual movie. 
Starting with, well, I mean, in a roundabout way, because I want to talk about the weird fucking casting of this movie. It really is just fucking bizarre, the people that they cast here. Who would have thought Tony Shalhoub would shoulder, you know, he's obviously a celebrated actor, right? Yeah. I loved him in Galaxy Quest. Of course, he's owned the TV certain points of history, like Monk, you know, and he's very celebrated and awarded, you know, but it's like, how are you thinking? This is, a you know, the, Tony Shalhoub is, the, is like going to shoulder a fucking horror movie I don't yeah know. it just seemed like a really odd casting moment and i just don't i don't it know more like a thomas jane moment to me well like, and at first i was a tony shalhoub moment i thought that maybe they were doing the because I, I didn't really i got the time i didn't think about it because tony shalhoub is tony shalhoub and back in you know 2001 i think he was a little bit more present than he is today but like watching it this time i was like did they do it because his name was criticos and maybe he looked a little greek even though he's like they Middle changed Eastern. their name to criticos the original's last name wasn't the same oh it's like Zorba yes. in the original. It was Arthur like Zorba or something like that. But like, uh, I don't know. Like, it was just a really odd casting choice for me on this watch. At the time, I didn't question it. It just seemed like. Yeah, me either. Yeah. At the time, I was just like, okay, it is what it is. Um, you know, we get uh, Shannon Elizabeth, who at the time is just, I think, only known for American Pie. Um. Yeah. What I mean, like, well, I think the same the year. Exchange student who just shows her tits. That's right. And in the same year, American Pie two came out, like two thousand and one, I think, around uh-huh. that time. So I mean, she she kind of blew up after American Pie, but didn't really do anything. No, she went out to do a scary movie. Um, yeah. Later on, Love Actually. I don't know how big of a role because I've never seen that movie. Sure. And then uh, she, apparently she was in a remake of Night of the Demons, which apparently we just have to go watch. I didn't even know there was a remake of Night of the Demons. My so, God. Talk about something we need a deep dive. Although, like, out of this entire cast, and, like, I feel bad for saying this, I just don't want to see Shannon Elizabeth anymore. Like, she's not she's not a good actress ever. She's, she's beautiful. Of she's all of her a- roles, I felt like she was best in this one. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But I mean, she she's a beautiful woman, you know. And I mean, I like her in scary movies. She makes me laugh. But like, I was just like, God. I thought she was fine, but miscast. She is far too old to play a daughter like she that. She is playing. Like, she looks like she's twenty five or thirty, and she's playing like a teenager. And she's supposed to be playing like a like. I'm really based on the script. I would assume maybe a twelve year old. She doesn't need a fucking nanny. She's twenty five years old or something. She you should know? be watching that kid. Why are I they don't wasting understand. that money? They're, they don't have they can't pay their bills yeah they're they supposed can... to be poor like all their possessions and like i guess they had only cash and didn't have anything in the bank didn't have insurance because their whole house burned down along with their mom you know <laughs> and so they're all like they're like scrimping for cash and desperate and their credit was ruined somehow and uh that's what that's what all is part of this weird exposition moment in this movie and yet she's 25 and they ha- and they can afford this nanny it doesn't make any fucking sense. Maybe during the interview And then the process. son is like a, you know, a sensible, you know, a sensible 77. <laughs> it's a sensible. He is a sensible 80 years old. Uh, and this is Alec Roberts. Yeah. Who, who ended up doing nothing after that. Several people quit acting after this movie. <laughs> and one more movie later, this director quit doing movies. <laughs> so apparently it was cursed. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the boy, though. I mean, the boy is funny. He's kind of annoying because he has that little speech impediment, I, I guess. Did he? I didn't notice. Yeah, I mean, he. he they, it's like he was trying hard to sound like a kid. And maybe that's what he just sounded like in general. But he had one of those, like, kid speaking moments where it just everything just sounds like he's just learning how to talk like he's four, you know? Wow. Like, I think he was closer to 10. 
I know. I mean, but like, I, mean, I maybe think of, <laughs> it maybe think of like 1960s, like people trying to be a kid, like very Shirley Temple esque, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm recording about death. He's just a little podcaster in training, is what he is, oh, like Jesus. recording himself talking and all that shit. But I mean, like, I don't know. He was he was cute. Well, I don't know. He, he's he never acted again, as far as I know. Yeah, he had enough. He was just like, well, that was fun for a minute. And speaking of never acting again, really, is Raw Digga, uh, who played Maggie Maggie Bess, um, the nanny. And I'm like, what a fucking shoehorn. I feel so bad. For I gave her a last name of Token. Yeah. In there because it just seemed like, okay, we need a, a funny black woman. Yep. Or a funny black guy in the script. So we're going to just plop him in here. And I was like, the whole act of that seems racist to me. It does. It's incredibly racist. I was offended for this woman. They can't afford any. It doesn't make sense. They wrote reasons for her not to be there. Yep. And then they had, they cast this woman, this grown ass woman, established woman with mm-hmm. gigantic fucking tits as the daughter. Yep. Who could easily watch that boy. Mm-hmm. And between the three adults, essentially, they lose the boy. Anyway, Rod Digga, perfectly fine actress, you know, and actually she's a better known in music, right? She was actually discovered by Busta Rhymes right. and joined his uh, flip mode squad. She has a song on the soundtrack. She does. And so, I don't know. It just seems like such a such a like racist shoehorn thing. Oh, we need a funny black person. Yeah. it's. I mean, it was an incredibly like token performance that they yeah. did not need to have. Or at least like... Do that woman some justice. And I guess they, they did a little bit, right? Because like she she actually solves the problem. You know what I mean? And she lives and is like sensible through a lot of it. You know what I mean? But like yeah. all of her dialogue is just ridiculously kind of like racist the way that they wrote this part there's, and yeah. had her portray it. And there's almost too many characters in this movie. And part of that is because in the original, it was like the they had like an all pair or something in the original movie that was psychic right and so they yeah. split that into an assistant um you know as kalina and the nanny as maggie and the psychic mm-hmm. uh, as dennis or whatever yeah so they split that one character from the first movie into three in this one yeah i mean when you have this entire like cast of characters and you have 12 other ghosts that you're supposed to like get to know that is quite a bit for a movie that's an hour and a half that doesn't seem to well okay we'll get into the plot and stuff later on we're still talking about the cast no 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 we can if it has to do with the stupid like i mean okay let's move on to f murray abraham then <laughs> silas criticus <laughs> the evil uncle and of course this guy is also like of all these actors he's the most celebrated i would say right yeah, scarface amadeus. amadeus star trek insurrection that's right and most recently the white lotus f murray abraham is an Oscar winner, I believe. I mean, he is a celebrated actor. And I mean, if you want to talk about things that I found at the time to be unbelievable as far as the casting goes, not Tony Shalhoub, but completely F. Murray Abraham. Like in the opening parts of this movie, I was just like, F. Murray, what are you doing in this? Like, it was just it was so random to me then, super random to me now. Yeah. And I feel like, and I, I may be making this up too, but I feel like he got into some trouble recently too for doing something. Yeah, you're right. So in April 2022, Abraham was fired from Mythic Quest, whatever that is, after being accused of sexual misconduct while on the set. In response to the sta- uh, in a response statement, Abraham apologized and stated that he never intended to quote offend anyone. I told jokes, nothing more, and that upset some of my colleagues. And as a result, I lost a great job with wonderful people. End quote. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can say the wrong thing around the wrong people, you know. So, I mean, I don't know if he's been completely canceled, but I mean, they fired him from a I don't complete project. He's been canceled. No, 
He's F. Murray, for crying out loud. Abraham. <laughs> Father Abraham. <laughs> Had many sons. And his name was Murray F. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> many sons had F. Murray Abraham. I don't know if that's true or not. We also have Matthew Lillard, who was in a lot of things around that time. What? Who's he? No, he played know. the Ghost Whisperer, right? So he was in Hackers. Yep. Goofy in Hackers. He was Goofy in Scream. Mm-hmm. And then he was even more Goofy in Scooby-Doo. That's right. Matthew Lillard. My goodness. <laughs> Has he never been, like, non-Muppety? No, he's always Muppety. He just looks Muppety. He looks Muppety today. He acts just, Muppety. He, like, he could have been, like, he, he played it kind of straight at the beginning of this movie. And then just kind of all goes out the window and he's, like, pretending to be the stupid electric worker or mm-hmm. something at the beginning. Yep. And he's, like, doing the Jim Carrey thing, you know? It's like, you don't need to do that. You're right. At the beginning of this movie, he is kind of playing it straight. It was like, oh, my head hurts and I'm a psychic and I touch the ground. There's lots of victims here and yeah. stuff like that. And then all of a sudden. God, I hate that trope. The fucking psychic nosebleed trope or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, please. But and by, by, the, by the time he dies in this movie, he has made so many fucking one-liners and shit like that. And you're like, the basement in this house? No, the basement next door. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, that's enough, Matthew. <laughs> Lillard. He really wants to come back in the new Scream, too. He does. But he's dead. No body, no death. The TV fell on his head. Yeah, so? <laughs> the yeah. TV's falling on my head. TV's fall on people all the time. I mean, you're right. That is true. TVs are constantly uh, falling. Yeah. If you're not a toddler, you're probably not dead. <laughs> That's true. Of course, he yeeted that thing on his fucking face, but you know, <laughs> you never know. I mean, we'll just have to. Oh wait my God, he's the guy in the box. He can come back as a ghost and scream. Oh, Jesus Christ. Embeth uh, Davids, someone that we have talked about before. Yes, we have. I yeah. love Embeth Davids. She's always so fucking different. And I hated her in this movie. But I love her generally because uh, she played Kalina, right? She's um, mm-hmm. the fake uh, ghost SJW. So the social justice warrior. Social justice warrior for ghosts. And she was, of course, faking that because she was, you know, F. Marie Abraham's like floozy the whole time. Mm-hmm. But she's been in Schindler's List, of which she gave a fucking amazing performance. She was really good in that. Army of Darkness, yep. in which she was amazing in that. And the Fallen. And I think in every fucking movie, she has a different accent. I have no idea. But, but the same haircut. No, she has a very different haircut in this. She's kind of short and weird and like very early thousands in this. Very I mean, half the planet. I don't know. Yeah, everybody. Everybody had the fucking haircut. But she was, yeah, and she was serviceable for the shitty role that she had, but she's always so different. Yeah, she had I loved her in Fallen and I love her in Army of Darkness. And I love her in Schindler's List. She was also the good teacher in Matilda. I have never forget. I don't, I'm not that faggoty. I don't. It's Roald Dahl. <laughs> Have me watch the Giants, okay? <laughs> anyway, I I believe we talked about her at length. Or the, what is it? Friendly Giant or whatever the fuck it is? The FBG? Yeah. BFG? BFG, Big Friendly Giant. I haven't seen that movie. Yeah. <clears throat> but I have seen Matilda. Anyway. Anyway, go back and listen to our episode on Fallen because, A, it's a good movie. That was a good episode. And we talk about Embeth at length we do um the only person left on this cast the cast that we haven't mentioned is jr born uh he played ben moss which is the lawyer and of course in the synopsis we only discuss him as the lawyer guy but um uh he was uh, mr pretty eye guy from um he played like an alien thing on stargate sg1 for multiple seasons i've never seen that show so this man was unknown to me and still is well he does play a lawyer guy in this though he does and he a he greedy had, lawyer guy. He had to split. <laughs> Did the lawyer split? <laughs> the groan, the the volume of which my <laughs> of which I groaned when I heard that. 
<laughs> he had to split. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh my god, why? I almost threw my remote at the TV. <laughs> I wanted to be like, who wrote this movie? We need to go find them right now and teach them a lesson <laughs> in violence. I'm going to bash you about the ear, nose, and throat with Elizabeth Shannon's tits. Aw. <laughs> Let's not be too violent. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, sexism aside, uh, look and feel. <laughs> Don't say feel when you say sexism right before. <laughs> God. With sexism aside, look and feel. <laughs> Equally as grown worthy. We have to talk about look and feel. Not Media. of not of Elizabeth Shannon. <laughs> look and feel of the movie. God, I feel like I'm about to be fired by Mythic Quest. <laughs> the look and feel of this movie to me is amazing. It is the one thing I think that is the saving grace of this film. It is and it isn't. Like there's amazing art direction, right? There's great makeup effects. Some of the best I'd ever seen up to that point as far as yes. makeup. But the ghosts were done so well. And that, so the set design, yes. the design of that house was fucking amazing. And I, I, I too kind of want to echo some of the reviewers, uh, the critics that said they would have wanted to see more of that. I you know, have like, the house be more of a character in the movie. Yes, I feel like those reviews are spot on for this movie because the ghosts to me are super, super impressive and very, very intriguing. And that's what I wanted to see more of in this. There's some ridiculous editing, which I'm sure that we're going to talk about that. I mean, like these ghosts like sort of vanish back and forth, even if someone has glasses on. And I'm like, the ghosts need to be a little bit more present. OK, so, so they did that in camera. So they actually like ramped the camera down mm-hmm. and then ramped back up so that they would appear to be teleporting. It wasn't editing. Oh, Jesus. Really? It was like so they couldn't take it away when they saw it look like shit. Fuck. Okay. Of course, well. they probably back then they thought it looked great, you know, but it just adds to the staccato schizophrenic bullshit of what's happening with the editing of this movie. So much slow motion. Uh, like slow motion, but like staccato editing. Yeah. Um, and then the strobing. Like it's a tedious to watch this movie at points. Because of how in your face it is. And it's like assaulting your eyes with all the strobing and everything, which is just isn't necessary. Nope. You know, and they didn't use those sets the way I really wanted them to. They, they, they have some like beauty shots of them. And of course, they're moving through them and you can see it all moving from the outside. They have establishing shots, which is great. We can see the great design that's been done. But we could have done so much with it in a different director's hands where you can be like, hey, there's like three hallways or three rooms down. You're not sure where they are in the space. This whole house is made of glass. You can see shapes moving in the background. Not sure if it's someone else lost or another ghost. You could do that all the time. That's true. And it would be so cool. It would be like adding a whole other layer to this onion, you know, where you're kind of doing the it follows thing. You know, you're looking in the background constantly. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that at all in this movie. They're just like paint, painting by numbers and like... You know, like he's shooting like a brand new like Lexus commercial or something with staccato editing and slow motion. You know, it's just like you get you pay for what you get. You get what you pay for. Well, I mean, and even having those ghosts in the background and being unsure of what's coming toward like the characters that you're following. Right. Makes the movie scary because something else that I agree with when it comes to those reviews is that this movie is not that frightening. And we have a question coming about that. So yeah. but like spoiler alerts, like. It's just not that scary. No. And I feel like a lot of that is just because of style over substance. You know, obviously. For sure. I mean, this movie is not trying to do anything other than sell popcorn. They knew that they had enough marketing. They could show these ghosts in a trailer and people would go and see the movie because the ghosts look intriguing. And then you get to the theater and you're like, but where are the ghosts, though? You know, like, 
they're not the center part of this movie when they should be. That was the much more exciting part of this Some film. of those ghosts I never saw more than once. Like the, the, like the fucking torso. The torso. You only see them like with one clip and I blink and you miss them maybe in the circle at the end. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and then like some of the other ghosts, like the, the, the dire mom or whatever, you know, like you barely, barely see those. And like one of the ghosts that I thought looked the best was like the, the one in the prom dress and shit. You know, like there's so many of these ghosts. And I'm, I mean, like we should probably talk about those ghosts in a minute just because there's so many of them and they're cool. And we will. Um, but I kind of want to say, like, is this like everything we're com- kind of complaining about, like the popcorny nature of this, which there's nothing really wrong with it, but it doesn't service this movie or the story, I don't think, mm-hmm. in this case. No. Um, it's kind of reminds me of William Castle himself, but he's more than just trying to sell popcorn. William Castle was passionate about a, a, like an experience, right? He really wanted those butts and seats to get shocked, literally. Yes. You know? <laughs> Tingled, even. Yes. And uh, he wanted to, to you know, have a gimmick that, that was different than everyone else and maybe not even call it a gimmick from, you know, from his point of view. And I remember watching this. There's some things that are popping out of the screen and some editing that actually would have made sense if it were in 3D. Yes. I totally thought that. Right. The film feels like it was supposed to be in 3d and i feel like the strobing would have been less because the 3d things are a little darker mm-hmm. especially back then and i feel like this re- this movie really was meant to be in 3d and so i had to do some research and i found out and i'll bring that back up later oh is it a fun fact yeah i think so because some things <laughs> happen at the end of this movie and i was just like that was meant to be a 3d effect yep like yep. It, it just you can tell all right i'll spoil my fun fact yes they had meant it to be 3d but there's no talk of it because they wanted to come out and, and say, okay, nothing went wrong. You know, we just early on, we intentionally, you know, decided not to make it 3D. But I think that is a lie. Yeah. Based on what we've seen in this movie, there was multiple moments and the way it's edited where I can tell that this would have been kind of an amazing thing to see in 3D. I would agree. With okay. those glass how and the, the way they, they focused. Because the, part of the reason why we couldn't see behind people three rooms back with the glass house is because they did this kind of rack focus, you know, where uh, there's like harsh focus and everything kind of behind them is kind of blurred a lot of the time. And that really works in 3D to pop things out, right? And so they kept doing that. And I just feel like this movie would have been amazing in that. And and that proves to me, just looking at this movie, that it was meant to be. Something went wrong where like the 3D conversion maybe was kind of in its infancy back then if you didn't actually shoot it in 3D and it didn't work out. And that probably would have saved this movie at the box office, too. I would love to see a re-release of this movie in 3D. I would I, go to see it. I would totally go watch it, yeah. you know? Because I, fe- I feel like... I bet there would have been, like, maybe people were getting sick or something because some of these scenes are kind of intense. With, like, the jackal, the guy in the box or whatever, that's intense. Not Maybe not scary, mm-hmm. but there was times when I kind of pressed myself against the couch to kind of get away with it from it. Yeah, because it's right in your face. I can't even imagine that in 3D. Yeah, well, that would have been very fucking cool, though. Yeah. I mean, this movie would have made a lot more money, I feel like, if they had that kind of gimmick, if they had a castle gimmick going for it. I'm not saying this movie made more than its budget, obviously, but like not much more than its budget. And it came out on Halloween weekend. Yeah. So come on now. My bloody Valentine did it. I had jawbones flying at my face. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it in the theater. (laughs) Did you see it in 3D? Yeah. (laughs) It was great. Of course. The whole audience just like tries to dodge the fucking job. <laughs> so another thing about this movie is the music, right? And this is by John Frizzell, who we've seen before. I don't remember which movie he did. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. I feel like it's been fairly recent, but um, it's nothing special, really, right? John mm-hmm. Frizzell, I don't know that he's done much 
super special stuff with some exceptions. Although like I listened to it in isolation today and like literally all of it's skippable, except there's one track that I actually noticed during the movie in a couple of different moments. And then listening to an isolation today, the track's called the Jackal attacks and it's super stupid reminiscent of James Horner's score for aliens. My God, how often was that movie score like copied? It's like Ripley's rescue or something. So I'll play Jackal attacks right now. And here is the score for Aliens that I'm comparing it to. I mean, that's very similar. I mean, for real, though. (laughs) But I mean, like this, I feel like in as many months we have talked about someone ripping off Aliens, the score. Like we just talked about it in Predator 2 over on Patreon, right? They're probably using this as temp tracks, really. That's true. And asking the composer just to like make something like this. And so they do. And it's a little too close. That's happened a lot. Copying, y'all. Don't do it. You know. Plagiarism. Mm -hmm. It's bad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about the ghosts? Uh, sure. Uh, there are 12 of them. There are 12 of them. Not 13. Spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> they should have changed the name of this movie. Uh, so the first one is the firstborn son, which is a little boy, cowboy and Indians. Type With of the arrow through his head. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we got the torso. I guess he just like fingers you to death. I don't know. Well, he's like headless when wrapped in saran wrap. Doesn't have legs. Doesn't have. But arms. it's sort of like scooting himself along. I don't know how, cause he was armless and headless. I think he had a necklace. Which is, I mean, like this is what I'm talking about. Like these these ghosts are very intriguing. Just the first two. It was two. played by a double amputee or whatever, like a or a quadruple amputee. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then they just like masked out his head. That ghost to me is the most intriguing because we barely ever see it, and I want to know why. I need to know why. <laughs> yeah, there's stories for all these things, but I, I'm far too lazy to copy paste them into this document. Well, um, I feel like in the DVD. So this is the third yes. time I've seen this movie. All of this is in the DVD. The DVD has a special feature, and right? people document. You can actually go to the Wikipedia and you can look at all the stories, the backstories. Okay, because I remember I remember seeing a special feature or something about some of the backstories. Yes, yeah. you can go to uh, IMDb. You can go to Wikipedia, which is right there on IMDb. You might have to search a little bit. And of course, if you own the DVD for this, um, there's a special thing that tells, you know, talks about all of the back, you know, which I do, by the way, stories like I pulled out my DVD collection after I watched this movie on Max last night. And I was like, oh, here I have the DVD. Mm -hmm. I have no DVD player, but I have the DVD. There you go. Uh, Number three, we got the bound woman, which is the cheerleader. Yeah, she was kind of cool because she was like she was real shaky. She's the one who like lures. um the son into the basement. She's like, come down. And then she's like, sort of like shaking in front of him or a little bit. Okay. She doesn't seem very like malevolent or like, like violent at all, but she's like cool looking, intriguing looking like these other ghosts are. Yeah. And then we have the withered lover, which is the mom. Which half, I guess is, yeah, she's half burned. She's, you know, um, walking with her, walking IV around the, the IV of saline or whatever it is. And so, like, obviously, this is the ghost that we know the most because we get to get some sort of, like, flashbacks of her when she was alive. Mm, the ghost with the most. The yeah. ghost with, she was the ghost with the most. <laughs> then we got the torn prince, which is, like, the baseball guy. With the bat. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He seemed angry. And we have the angry princess, which uh, this actress never acted again either. Uh, she got kind of a cult following afterwards. Of course, she's, you know, her makeup took the longest of all of them, by the way. She's naked. The she's naked time. the whole time. But actually, if you look, if you like freeze frame, 
uh, all of it is like disconnected, um, like surgery, mm-hmm. right? So her boobs are like half on and like the surgery, all over her eyes and her face and her lips and everything. And so it's supposed to be like, she over surgeried herself and then she like started killing people. I don't know. I mean, she killed herself. I don't know. She's in that bathtub. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I mean, I feel like we get to see this ghost a lot. I feel like she's the one who's the most present. There's a weird. Yeah. There's it's a, like, that's a little too much. Like they're trying to have nudity in this. Yes. There's a weird like male gaze in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Like when the daughter is being attacked. Like, True. like it's weirdly sexualized. It like zooms on our boobs as the, as the, Oh, you're right. As it's like does. ripping her clothes off. And then the father has to like put a jacket over her and stuff. And I'm like, that wasn't necessary. No. And I feel like, like when, when, when the, the angry princess is in the bathtub and Shannon Elizabeth is like splashing water into her face. And who does that from a fucking bathtub anyway? Which again is like making me think they made all these decisions, you know, based on popcorn and like tits, tits and ass sell, you know, it's like, for sure. That's why we, Oh, we can't do that with a 12 year old girl. So we're going to hire a 30 year old girl, you know? And it's just like, no, it doesn't serve the story. You still, you already have like this ghost that's naked, you know, walking mm-hmm. around. But I mean, like when, when she's in that bathtub, her breasts are like positioned over the water line. You know what I mean? So like this yeah. woman's breasts are like visible a hundred percent of the time that she is in this movie. And I'm like, it is completely unnecessary. You don't have to do that. It's a little gratuitous. And the only naked, like actually half naked guy in this is the great child, which is next. Well, actually he's next to next. Who's the big fat guy. <laughs> the, the, the real next one is the pilgrimess who you see like maybe a half shot of. Oh yeah. She's supposed to be like the witchy She's like colonist lady or Pilgrim. something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's the great child, the giant baby guy. Wasn't she a great big fat girl? (laughs) (laughs) And then his mother, the tiny lady. The dire mother. The dire mother. Yeah. And then the hammer, which is the blacksmith spike dude. I feel like he was the ghost that we saw the most. He's stupidly. They they sort of like sort of make him the most ominous. Yeah. He had all those spikes coming out of him. And he really does look mean and angry and frightening. He does, but I just couldn't care. He was overproduced to me. I don't know. I thought he was cool. Okay. Well, to each their own. Um, I thought the Jackal was the coolest one. And he was the guy with the head in the box. I like the Jackal as well. I feel like those two ghosts. That actor's face and the makeup they did for him. And then the cage on top of that around his face. I thought he was the most effective of all of them. I thought the hammer seemed the the most angry and aggressive. And the Jackal seemed the scariest to me. Yes. Yeah, the Jackal yeah. is scariest. Because he had that laugh going on, right? Except they have the most ominous for the next one, the last one, which is the Juggernaut. Yeah, so I don't understand, bitch. like, this is the juggernaut, bitch. I mean, I don't understand why that one was supposed to be, like, the most frightening, the most violent, the most whatever. Like, it seemed to do the least amount of damage out of all the ghosts that Not were, like, really violent. Well, at the beginning, at he the was, beginning like, was a goddamn bloodbath, and he makes a car basically swallow a human Freddy style in Freddy's junkyard. And then, but nothing, he doesn't do anything in the house. Eats them backwards, like folds the yeah. body the wrong way. It was and fucking sucks him gnarly. into a truck. I loved it. <laughs> and then, then he's released in the house and they're like, oh, if the juggernaut's out and then nothing happens. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, I don't know. Like the jackal did far more damage. He did little cat scratches on people. <laughs> but he was like, <laughs> the whole time he was like, doing I feel it. Like, I feel like the set did more damage to these people than the ghosts did. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. It was split in half. Split in half and the chunky salsa when they're like diving into the like rotating blades and shit. And any number, like another woman was crushed by the walls. So like more people literally die from the set in this once they're in this house than any ghosts. And but I mean at the at the same time though, I feel like the ghosts are the best part of this movie. Like I wanted sure. to see more of them. I wanted to know where they came from and why. 
And I felt like that would have been a much better movie. I feel like the capturing of these ghosts was a better story than what we were given. Yeah. And I th- hopefully that's what the TV show is going to be. But I'll, although I do like a trapped inside and I really wanted to know more about the stupid machine that they're all part of. Like it says in the synops- synopsis that like you could see the past, present, future. I don't remember that from the movie. No, she said that oh, she when, did? when okay. she was explaining because she had that whole tome. It's like, what are you going to do with that? Like, what is an example of like how like what a working machine looks like? Is a big like mirror on the wall, like mirror, mirror, bitch. You know, I don't know. You're like gazing into the opening of hell. Or gazing like into that. the 13 assholes of a ghost or <laughs> But I mean, if you, so how does that work though? You're like, I feel like looking into the past today. Do you have to summon all the ghosts every single time? Well, I wonder because he looked, he touched the guy, right? Uh, I always remember like Matthew Lillard at the beginning touched uh, Cyrus's character, right? Yeah. F. Murray Abraham's character on the shoulder and saw a bunch of gambling, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, oh, he's going to fuck off and go to the casino or something if I were to take that literally. And then about halfway through, I was like, okay, like it really stuck in my craw. And I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe like this is a gamble. He's killing himself and is assuming his plan is going to um, work perfectly so he can be like the master ghost and absorb all of their essences or something mm-hmm. and be like super ghost or immortality or something. And then I realized, oh, he's not dead. And so what it might be is actually kind of a back to the future thing where he knows what the winning combinations are going to be. He knows what the lottery numbers, he knows what, you know, to what to roll, what to guess. And he's going to be super rich. And that's how he's going to use it, you know, because it showed money. It showed gambling. It showed all that stuff. Oh, you're right. Because didn't they also say when they were asking about the uncle and Daddy Shalhoub was like, he squandered all the money. Yeah. Like we used to have a family fortune, but now we don't because he got rid of it all. But he was an, but I never got that it was because he was a gambler. I got it because he was an adventurer who was just going to throw his money into. So maybe he was going to use this clock, the ghost clock to see how to gamble. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just know. like adding parts to the like, story like at this there's point. no so what to this fucking movie at all there's really not i mean because what is he gonna do with that power and also like like i said if you have to have 12 ghosts standing around your machine every time you want to look into the future past or present and also you can just look into the present yourself um like that seems like a faulty design plan yeah the 13th ghost i think like traps them there until like this machine maybe the machine is built at that point and activates it, and then you don't have to do anything. You just have this thing. Well, the fact that we have to say "I think" when yeah. we're talking about this just means they didn't explain. Just like show in the us, movie. show it, show it to us, and make it work. You know? There are moments in here that are that have so much exposition, and they don't explain the things that we need to know. It should have been like an Ark of the Covenant moment. Like he builds the machine, and it drives him insane instantly, and we get a bunch of like screaming spirits melting people's faces off. Yes, right. That's what it should have been. God damn it, because that's a frightening <laughs> moment in a movie. Anyway, the Juggernaut. Fun fact. Uh, as played by John DeSantis, who is also as a major speaking role in the Thirteenth Warrior. A major, major speaking role, yes. Oh my goodness! Another connective tissue to this month. Did you know this going into Mm-mm. it? Wow. Okay. No, I don't even know the character he plays. Okay. It said he's a principal actor in it, and I'm like, I saw a picture. I'm like, I don't really remember him. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will next week, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, what are some of your favorite moments? Moments, moments in this movie. Moments. <laughs> I think the ending. <laughs> with that fucking rap song no i meant because of the movie was did over. you listen to that shit no i turned it off it was horrible uh because i i don't know like this this movie this movie doesn't have that many good moments in it you know i liked the car eating someone sure um 
some of these are not my favorite moments. They're just like memorable moments. Like the silly exposition at the beginning of this movie of the mom dying in the fire and you can hear the fire happening and everything as it's panning across like a tranquil yeah. fucking kitchen and they're doing like the, the credits after already the opener. Yep. So, right. and then, yeah. So it's like, okay, that, that moment. It's so sloppy. It really is because like the scenery is changing to more of a burnt home and I'm like, we get it. <laughs> Like, tragedy has befallen this family. Like, I don't need to hear the, like, the sounds of the fire in the background and screaming for life and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a little micro scene before that with showing Tony Shalhoub. Right. You know, in his, like, armchair. An mm-hmm. armchair that looks like it's about to, like, strangle him, by the way. And then it circles back to the window or whatever. I'm like, all right, that's enough. Yeah, it was kind of, like, for that to be, like, after an opener seemed kind of weird. I have to admit, though, I really did like the lawyer's death. Yeah, the lawyer's gimmicky death. Uh, maybe he split. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, so uh, the sheet of glass coming mm-hmm. down, you know, halfway through. So you see his brain on the other side as he slides down. I really like that. It reminded me of Resident Evil. Yeah, it did. And, and it also reminds me of Ghost Ship, which he did mm-hmm. the year after that. Now, Resident Evil came out after this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, yeah. I just like seeing people bisected. So it's another kind of... Uh, gimmick. I feel like he did some gimmicky deaths in this, especially with this one. This is like the key gimmicky death. That caught on. And then he did Ghost Ship, which has one of the fa- most famous gimmicky deaths, mass deaths of any horror movie I've ever seen mm-hmm. to this day as the beginning of that movie. Uh, you know, and that's kind of it, you know, and I, th- I wonder if that's yet another kind of shout out, like this is a gimmick, you know, to Castle or Castle movie making. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't I've never seen possum either. Oh my god, that's so fucking scary. <laughs> I just like seeing people bisected, especially when we get to see the inner workings of yeah, the It was done body. well. I feel like yeah. it was that was um I don't feel like a lot of that was CG. I feel like that was done practically. Probably. I mean, so I mean the people who did some of the makeup effects in this, so like um Greg Nicotero, yeah. right? Gregory Nicotero in this movie. Yeah, Gregory. He's no slouch, right? Like he knows what he's doing. And we I mean, anyone who's seen like The Walking Dead knows that he he knows makeup, like fully in camera makeup. And prop bodies. Yeah, for sure. Did you say hog bodies? Prop bodies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows hog bodies. <laughs> I've seen pictures. He does. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, no, the, the lawyer's death is cool. I just like to like I like to see a brain still inside someone's head on film. <laughs> <laughs> you like to see a brain in your fridge? <laughs> Let me clarify that. <laughs> um, you know, another memorable thing, obviously, I already discussed the weirdly sexualized attack on Kathy. I'm kind of done talking with that. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of F. Murray Abraham. I love it when he screams. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Uh, basically, all of Matthew Lillard, who played Dennis. I, I love his bent over backwards death. He was like, bent into like a pillar or a corner of the wall or the hallway or whatever and he like breaks in half i'm like oh god yeah there's a lot there's a lot of like oh in this movie um kalina's crushing death there's a lot of stuck between two walls closing in or whatever there's a lot of oh moments in this movie but but they don't really push it far enough to make my stomach churn you know and i feel like it's because it was going to be in 3d probably and like there's some of that coming up too uh and then basically all of raw digga who played maggie I feel so her bad name. for her yeah i just really do yeah to be used that way but you know she sees all the scripts she knew what she was signing up for and that was just the things at the time maybe but i don't know 
I'd love to to get some of the thoughts of people of color who listen to us. I mean, I thought that she was, I mean, as an actress, I thought she was good. I thought she had really funny moments. Yeah. I thought that any any joke that they had job. written, she delivered impeccably. You know what I mean? I just feel bad that. She like, was a walking fucking trope. She was shoehorned yeah, in for comedy. That and, they, you know. Just wrote her in for stereotypical reasons. And I think that's unfair for her yeah. as a woman and especially as a woman of color. I mean, like, come on now. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the other thing I was thinking of. Was those stupid glasses in this movie? Like they have to be direct homage to the illusion of glasses that people wore to see 13 Ghosts back in 1960. But we already talked about that. Yeah, for sure. Especially because these are sort of like lit from the inside. Yep. Like every time someone puts them on, there's that little light inside. So it calls even more attention to them. (laughs) Yeah, they were lit, but not in that best way. But yeah, I mean, that clearly they were doing that as some homage to Castle in this. But the glasses didn't even look that cool. They look like safety glasses. They do. So, rah, rah, rah. They were safety glasses, just with like little LEDs on the sides. That's all. I know. <laughs> we really can make it. those. So the whole time I was watching this, I was thinking which ghost I should go for as Halloween. Or at Halloween. Like, I just don't know. I think I'm going to go as the dire mother. It goes the torso. <laughs> I want to, though. I kind of want to pick one of these ghosts. I'll have to be next, next Halloween. Two Halloweens from now, so I can... Truly execute it, makeup style. Oh, we should be the the big the big boy and the mama. <laughs> <laughs> but which one is which? <laughs> do you have any fun facts for me? Oh, we could do two and one. We could do uh, the twins from The Shining. We write what's on our T-shirt. Yeah. But instead of like the twins, twins, we're dressed up like what's your face from Poltergeist? Tangina. Yes. <laughs> the Tangina twins. <laughs> this costume is clean. <laughs> Yes, I do have some fun facts. What are they? This is the first film from a major American studio with three Arab-American leads. That includes uh, Tony Shalhoub, F. Murray Abram, and Shannon Elizabeth. Isn't M. Beth Davids also Arab-American? So I don't think so. I don't know. Huh. We might need to look that up, perhaps. Maybe, but those are the three, and I did confirm that. Okay. At least half of their blood. Well, that's good. I am glad. That they, I mean, because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. It's Even like they, they got their lead and then they thought, oh, hey, these other people are, and we'll just go ahead and pull them in. It was interesting. Uh, next one, Warner Brothers and Dark Castle Entertainment originally planned to release this film in 3D oh. and carry over the gimmick from the original 13 Ghosts 1960, where viewers needed to uh, wear glasses to see the ghost in the film. Such plans were scrapped. Obviously, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. I spoiled my, my fun fact. Right next up, Shannon Elizabeth is one year younger than Raw Digga, who plays her nanny Maggie. You don't oh, fucking say. Really? How shocking. <laughs> Good lord. And yet fun to know for fact. <laughs> <laughs> next up, one of the shooting days for this film, um, for reshoots specifically, unfortunately happened to be on September 11th. 2001 when word of the terrorist attacks on the world trade center reached the cast and crew on the set they all shared a moment of silence together before resuming production director steve beck was noticeably uncomfortable for the entire day and this confirms that um we know that uh it was filmed being filmed at the same time as 28 days later because on our deep dive for that and our fun facts we said well like not really maybe bleak facts Mm. the scene where jim and selena celebrate with frank and hannah were shot on september 11 2001 danny boyle said it felt extremely strange to shoot a celebratory scene on that particular day so they were shooting these movies at the same time 
concurrently. It's interesting. My God, this movie came out October 26, 2001, and they were doing reshoots on September 11th. Wah, wah. That. Scary. Is a bad sign for a film. Yeah. Okay. We're shooting some of those three scenes, I guess. Probably. So speaking of which, Kalina's death, where she is crushed between two glass panels, was originally much gorier, with shots of her eyes popping out towards the camera and brains squirting out. This was cut down in the end, as director Steve Beck feared uh, such a gory death would earn the film an NC-17 rating, especially if it was in 3D and the eyeballs are shooting out towards the audience. I would give my left nut... To see that shot, especially in in 3D. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Oh, damn. This movie could have been so much better. I know. No. So, for lastly, (laughs) these are the stupid play on word bullshit I found on IMDb. (laughs) So, the withered lover is the fourth ghost of the Black Zodiac. She is seen walking with an IV with her. (sighs) IV in Roman numerals is four. Oh, God. (sighs) Exhausting, isn't it? For real. Just though. wait for the next one. The Angry Princess, played by Shauna Lawyer, causes lawyer Benjamin Moss to be sawed in half by a glass door. She thus shorn a lawyer. <laughs> shorn a lawyer. <laughs> no. Is the actress that, yeah. That Stop. is really, really stupid. <laughs> but fun. <laughs> like all your facts should be. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we have some questions to ask about 13 ghosts like we do about every movie that we cover here on the Film Flamers. We're going to skip as this is a horror movie because clearly it was intended to be. But were you scared while watching 13 Ghosts? Not really, although there's some moments of intense um, violence kind of in your face, like shy away from like just um, intrinsic, not even like Dolby shocks or yeah. scared, just kind of like want to get away from the screen a little bit more because things are in your face and strobing mm-hmm. at you. That's right. Uncomfortable. Yeah. More like an annoying bug. Exactly. <laughs> this movie is more like when annoying. When the sun gets in your face. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I feel like this movie could be scary if they had just done things a little bit differently the way that it was shot or maybe with the plot a little bit. Like, but to me, it is not frightening. It was not frightening when I saw it in the theaters in 2001. No. And I am easily scared. And so like this movie just had nothing frightening in it. The most scary thing is the jackal. Maybe it's because there's like fluorescent lighting on everything. The entire fucking movie. (laughs) The the entire house is so well lit. You know, they're walking into a basement that seems well lit. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not scary. You know? And so like the ghosts, which look really, really cool are completely underused. And with just the tiniest bit of backstory for each of those ghosts to make them seem more menacing as to why they're being so violent, would have just made the story better and made it a little bit more frightening, in my opinion. So, nice try, guys. But no. Out of five stars, what would you rate 13 Ghosts? You know, I, I was going to say two and a half because it's kind of average or meh to yeah. me. Uh, and there's some really good production design, and that gives it two stars for me. Yeah. Like five star production design and set design and stuff like that, but everything else is kind of shit, really. And so that's uh, two stars. I'll, watch, I'll rewatch this every once in a while. And by once in a while, I mean every 20 years or so. Yeah. Which is the last time I watched it. I watched it in the theater, and I don't, I'm not sure I watched it. Maybe I once on DVD or rented it. But that's it. Uh, so I haven't seen this in 20 years, and I probably won't for another 20 years. I watched it in the theater, and then I watched it when it came out on DVD. Yeah. And then I did not watch it again. That's my story. Um, But 
like two and a half seems like a really good score for this particular movie, just based on it as a whole. The thing that saves it for me is the look of these ghosts and the production design itself. Memorable, yeah. And I feel like it's memorable enough to bump that up an extra half star up to three. Well, as usual, we're within half a star. Yeah. Oh, you're up to three? Yeah, I gave it three stars. Oh, wow. So, I mean, like, I finished the movie, I went to the letterbox, and I was like... We're a whole star away from each other, though. Yeah, I was like, three stars. It's a three-star movie, only because I think these ghosts look really cool. You were very kind to this movie. The movie itself is trash. That's like a B-plus movie or something. But I I really feel like like the makeup design of these ghosts and the way these ghosts look and the fact that I want to know more about them is a a full star good. I mean, like, I would would like to, to know more about these particular characters. I feel like it's a it's a two and a half Robert film, and it's mm-hmm. a two star Chris film. You'll well, go down. I don't think it's a film. You'll go down on this film. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I went down in a theater uh, in two thousand and one. So I don't I don't know three stars. I think it's three stars, and but solely for those reasons. Like otherwise, if if they didn't have the kind of ghost that they had in this movie, it would just be terrible. Uh, okay, finally, and I don't know how I'm going to answer this question. Who's the hottest guy in Third One Three and Ghosts? Baseball guy. Baseball guy. Baseball. Fully. Baseball ghost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think that Tony Shalhoub is unattractive. I think he is. I I would not say he's not unattractive. I don't. I wouldn't say that he's hot. No, I'm saying he's unattractive. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but fucking baseball ghost, like you got that bat swinging it, fucking glass and shit. He look angry, and I'm like, you look so troubled. Come, come to me. Come to daddy. <laughs> Let's fix all your problems Yikes. together. <laughs> yeah, I think the lawyer guy could be if he was playing a better character. Um, I guess he's kind of swarmy. You know, but it's the baseball guy. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's weird that we pick a ghost for this. But. Well, Slim Pickens. For real, though. I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Third One Three and Ghosts. <laughs> uh, as always, we would like to know what you think about this movie and our conversation about it. Go find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and X. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Shouldn't throw stones in glass houses. Mm, Cover me with your ectoplasmic shit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Two ghosts, one cup? I don't know. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) (laughs) as chris said earlier in the episode we have a lot of content coming out for you this october we're covering the 13th warrior next week and we have the original 13 ghosts over on patreon to get that bonus episode along with the rest of ours and get our episodes early head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers and join the family we're going to read your name on the next shooting the flames also we like to read reviews on Shooting the Flames. Head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or really anywhere you can review us. Tell us why you like us. Give us a five-star review. And you're going to hear that on a Shooting the Flames episode. Well, Chris, I think it's time we... What are we going to do for this morning? I think it's time to go find some stones to throw in this glass. Of this. 
<laughs> we'll get stoned in this glass house. <laughs> Let's go get stoned in this glass house. What a better adage. <laughs> and maybe then we'll have some sweet dreams. I want to be the angry princess for Halloween. <laughs> the angry so, princess? Yeah. We'll be naked with like cut up titties. So like normal, I guess. <laughs> Much to everybody's chagrin at the Halloween party. We're like, I'll oh, you're big, naked. I'll be the big baby guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the party you should throw. Everyone has to come as one of the 13 ghosts. And I'll have like a little like cabbage patch, like Raggedy Ann or something. <laughs> That's call your it mama. <laughs> Feeding you. <laughs> <laughs> huh?